As the kids go out, I, I, I just want to thank all of you who give so much of your time to serve the children of this church. It's one of the ways that we invest in the kingdom of God by serving the body of Christ here. And so many of you are serving in the nurseries and, and Sunday schools and and children's sermon, and so thank you for doing that and as a way to love our body and invest in the future of the church. So thank you. We're going to continue in John chapter 1 this morning. Be um, looking to John 1 verses 19 through 34 uh, as we continue to make our way through this beautiful gospel account. As we prepare to turn to the word, let me, let me pray. Asking the Lord's blessing on our time together. Would you bow with me? Father, this is your word. It's all true. It's perfect. It revives the soul. It's the word that we need this day. And so would you, accompany the reading and preaching of your word with the powerful outpouring of your spirit. Grant us life by your spirit as we hear your word. Do this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day... He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. We come... Uh, with many backgrounds, many struggles, but all of us, whether we know how to put words to it or not, are sharing a similar hunger, a hunger for fullness, 
for fullness in the Christian life. But the question is, how do we find it? How do we find fullness in, in this Christian life that we're called to? Well, if you walk down the bookstore aisles, you're going to find a host of of really big personalities who are going to do their best to answer that question for you. The problem is when we look at their smiling faces and big bold pictures on the cover of these books, it only begs other questions. How do we navigate that aisle? How do we, how do we differentiate between those big personalities? You, you want to know what's behind them. Who are they? Where is their authority? There was no bigger personality than John the Baptist. The Lord called him in the fullness of time to, to come to a prophetic work in the early first century, and he, he preached. He preached this message that drew crowds from all over, and they came out to hear him. And, and the crowds were, were such that it drew the attention of headquarters. Back in Jerusalem, the religious leaders, they, they wondered, what, who is this? What, what's going on out there? So they, they sent some investigators to go and, and figure out the story. This team of investigators goes out to John, and, and the text simply tells us that they asked, who are you? But John's response to their question tells us that there's, there's more going on behind that question. You see, at that time, there was this heightened sense of anticipation. People were ready for the Messiah. They were looking for him in, in a variety of places. And we've already heard in, in John that they had a lot of different notions of, of who the Messiah was going to be, what was his mission, but they were looking. And so we hear John's response and realize that this team of investigators are out to ask if he is the one. Now his answer is clunky to our ears. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. What was this that he didn't deny? What was it that he confessed? Well, he confessed, I am not the one. <laughs> I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. He was adamant in this. So they kept pressing. He continued to be adamant. He said, I'm not Elijah, nor am I the prophet, the, the one who would come in the, in the footsteps of, of Moses. John had a big personality, but different from the big personalities of our day, he, he was humble. He deflected titles. And in doing so, he gave probably a more specific title through his answer. See, John pointed not to a title, but pointed to a prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, to, to give his identity, we read it here in, in verse 23. John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, confusing to us because that sounds like Elijah's ministry but John has just said he's not Elijah but Jesus would later affirm that he is the one like Elijah he is the one who has come to fulfill that ministry 
to prepare the way for Jesus. We now look back on that ministry and wonder, okay, what, was, what were the specifics of John's ministry? Is it merely a ministry for the first century? Does it have meaning? Does it have import for us today? It was a ministry of making straight the way. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, I, I have this image in my mind of, of a road builder. <laughs> Clearing out the trees, straightening the path, grading the way, laying down the pavement, preparing this road so that the king can come. And there's a sense in which John is doing all of that. But when we listen to his message, we begin to understand that more than simply making a road so that the king can find his way to the people, John's message is one of making room in the people, making room in their hearts, in our hearts. One word summarizes that ministry of making room for the king. Repentance. Repent. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, summarizes that ministry where it captures John's words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To repent is, is to turn away. It's to turn away from one set of affections and turn towards another. To turn away from sin and to turn towards Jesus. But I'd like for us for a moment to think of this call to repentance in terms not merely of turning, but of emptying. Of emptying ourselves of lesser desires. In so doing, emptying ourselves of self, of actually emptying ourselves, our hearts of sin. This emptying is a is a getting rid of something and in favor of someone much more beautiful, someone much better. It's emptying out the clutter so as to make room. If you had a long-term guest come stay with you, what, what did you have to do to prepare? It's one thing to have an overnight guest. You know, if we're you know, if we're really thoughtful for an overnight guest, we might change the sheets on the bed. But we don't do a lot of, of prep work, cleaning work for an overnight guest. We recently had uh, some guests who stayed for a week. It requires a little bit more preparation, a little bit more cleaning out to make room for them. But some of you have had much longer-term guests. What do you do when you have a long-term guest? You, you got to get rid of some stuff. You got to make some adjustments in the house to, to make room for them to come in and to stay or even to reside. John is, is telling us to prepare not for a long term guest, but for the King of Kings to come and to dwell within us. That requires some work. That requires a work of, of emptying out the clutter, not in our homes, but, but in our lives. What holds you back from emptying out the clutter? For some of us, it's busyness. We, we took our daughter to school on Friday, and I looked around the house this morning as I was walking out, and there's, there's, there's empty luggage 
sitting around that I've been too busy to, to, to uh, do something with. <laughs> the clutter just accumulates. It's like baggage in, in our home. And, and sometimes the busyness of life prevents us from dealing with that baggage. We're just too busy to slow down and consider what is going on in our own hearts. But let's be clear for a moment. The clutter that I'm talking about, it's, it's not an empty suitcase that's sitting in the hallway. The clutter that I'm talking about is sin. Sin that, that distracts us from, from a better focus on Jesus. That sin is, instead of focus on Jesus, it's a focus on self. So for some of us, what holds us back from emptying, it's not busyness, but rather a casual relationship with sin. I might think to ourselves, it's okay. Jesus is gracious. It's okay. That's true. Jesus is gracious. And his graciousness extends far deeper, far more uh, radically intrusive than we could ever imagine that he would be gracious to to accept us when we have committed cosmic treason yes he is gracious but when we have a casual relationship with sin what we are doing is we are thwarting his work in our lives he's come that we might have life and have it abundantly we've settled we've settled for clutter Instead of feasting with the king. So I ask you a question. It's a simple question, but it is a pointed question. Do you hate your sin? Do you hate your sin? It's a question that I understand sounds harsh. But when we understand. How much more beautiful, how much more life-giving, how much more fulfilling Jesus is. It, is. it is the kindest question we can ask. The Baptist came to, to root this sin out. Not to be harsh, but to be life-giving. John came to root this sin out by calling us to repent by emptying ourselves of the lesser desires in order to make room for the king of kings. This repentance, this hatred of our own sin, it is not the substance of the gospel, but it most certainly is the precursor to Jesus. Because there, there in that place, we see how beautiful and life-giving he is. That's the message of John the Baptist. It's the message that drew attention, that, that brought the crowds He revealed his identity when he responded. Responded to the, the investigators. It was an identity that, that was totally in keeping with that message. Yet, when he responded, it begged another question. They asked him a more specific question. Why are you baptizing? Notice, though, when they asked him this question, they, they didn't ask, what is this baptism? They said, why are, why are you doing it? We're going to get there, and why was John doing it? But first, we've, we've got to wrestle with what was it. And I'll acknowledge that 
there are a host of uh, questions, uh, confusing thoughts, even arguments that surround this question of, of baptism. It seems to divide us far more than it unites us. Um, so I'm not going to answer everything. I, I, I can't. I'm going to start with this. In Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, we are told that John's baptism, it was not the baptism that Jesus instituted in Matthew 28. John's baptism, the baptism that he is, that he is baptizing with in John 1, it, it is not the sacrament of baptism that we celebrate today. We see that in Acts 19 when, when Paul encountered some disciples of John and, and he asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit and they said, we don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. So he asks them about their baptism and, and they respond, they were, they were baptized by John. Paul clarifies that that is a baptism of repentance, a, an, an anticipatory baptism, a, a baptism that looks forward. But one has come who's greater, Jesus Christ. And he has come bringing, promising the Holy Spirit. And so these disciples of John in Acts 19 are re-baptized with the full baptism that Jesus has instituted. That's part of it. Part of it is understanding the history of how John got this baptism. The word baptism, baptizo, it means cleansing. It means washing. Now, when you look back in the Old Testament, there were, there were a host of, of ritual cleansings that, that extended all the way back to, to God giving the, mo, the, the law to Moses, the ceremonial law. There was this series of, of ritual washings. Now, there's also the Septuagint. It was a Greek translation of the, the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, and that, that Septuagint, it predated Jesus. Now, here's why that's important. The Septuagint, when it translated the word for many of these ritual cleansings, it used the Greek word baptizo. It called those ceremonial ritual cleansings baptisms, washings. And then in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 10, it does the same. It, it connects these cleansings. Water cleansing was not new in the days of John. It was even a series of proselyte baptisms in the intertestamental time period where these, these Gentile converts to Judaism, would, they'd self-administer a bath as a, as a sign of their their. They're being cleansed and coming to, to, Jude, to Judaism. They were, they were part preparation, part pointer ultimately to Jesus Christ. You and I, we know this in ways that we don't even think about. I'm going to ask you a question, and I promise you I do not want a show of hands this morning to this question. But before you came here this morning, how many of you took a shower I wasn't asking for a show of hands, but I hope most of you could answer yes. Why did you do that? Why did you take a shower before you came? Because you understand that if I'm going to meet somebody special, if I'm going to maybe even encounter the Lord, I, I want to clean myself up. 
not that we can cleanse ourselves of sin, but we understand that. We understand that if we're going to meet someone special in the world, we're going we're to take a shower. You don't do that before you mow the grass. But when you, when you come to meet someone, you want to be cleansed. On a much deeper, more profound level, the Old Testament water cleansings, they were just that. They were a preparation to encounter the living God. The, the water baptisms, the water cleansings of the Old Testament, they never made anyone holy, but they were, they were a sign of our, our cleanliness to prepare for this encounter with God. That's, that's what John's baptism was. But the people came and they asked a different question because they understand, they understood the cleansings. They said, why are you doing it? John, why are you doing this? I just said that some of these ritual cleansings were, were self-administered, akin to us taking a shower. Some of them, most of them were done under the authority of the priesthood. John wasn't a priest. He was a prophet. And so they asked, who are you? John didn't flash his, his prophetic badge. He did something far greater. He looked to Scripture. And he said, I'm the messenger. In doing so, understand, he, he didn't look for the title. He deflected to Jesus. And in doing so, in deflecting to Jesus, he reasserted his message that he was there to prepare us for Jesus, to point to Jesus. That's what his message was in his baptism. But another question, why did Jesus receive it? Jesus didn't need to be cleaned up. Again, John's baptism was not the sacrament of baptism that we celebrate now. That came later and was instituted by Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, Jesus didn't need this cleansing. He was, he was the one the cleansing pointed to. So why? Well, let me just offer you at least my humble understanding of why Jesus received this baptism. You see, there was another category of of Old Testament ritual water cleansings. It was the category that was applied to the priesthood. It's applied to the priesthood at the beginning of their ministry and on an ongoing basis throughout their ministry. Leviticus 8.6, Moses took Aaron and his sons, the priesthood, and he washed them with water. To consecrate them for their work as the priest over Israel. It was an anointing, an ordination of sorts for their work as priests. It was an anointing that took place at the beginning of the work. And there were continual washings for the priesthood as they continued. But again, it's a pointer. It's a pointer to something that is here fulfilled. There is something new happening here in John one, because here we find the fulfillment of all those Old Testament signs in the form of a dove. The Lord sent a dove. It's a visible manifestation of the Spirit of God to come and rest upon Jesus Christ as a visible manifestation of the Lord God anointing God the Son for His work as the great high priest. 
you see. Jesus is baptized. There's an anointing. He begins this work that the Lord God has called him to. That was John's baptism. But remember, John differentiates his baptism from Jesus' baptism. He's so clear in verse 26. He says, mine is only a water baptism. But Jesus is coming. One is coming. whom I'm not worthy to even untie the sandals on his feet. Jesus' baptism is a baptism of cleansing through filling. Filling with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism anticipates. Jesus' baptism fulfills. John's is a call to empty oneself of self, to make room in our hearts for the King of Kings to come and reside. Jesus' is a call to be filled by the Holy Spirit. I love when the Lord does this. It's just evidence of this text, but the Lord brings together different threads throughout Scripture together to emphasize a point. He's done it again this week in the life of this church, driving home the message of the life-giving, life-sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about. If you've been following along in our, in our church-wide study through Scripture as we've looked in Unfolding Grace, we, we came this week to Ezekiel 34 through 37. So as we sent out the, the midweek devotion, we, we explored Ezekiel 37 and the account of the Valley of Dry Bones. It's beautiful, beautiful picture of the life-giving, life-sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 37, 14, after the dry bones have come to life, the Lord teaches what is going on there. And he says, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. Promising his baptism here. That the Spirit will come, the Spirit will give life, the Spirit will sustain life. It's the fullness that we are searching for in Christian living. This fullness is being filled by the Holy Spirit. It's the fullness that Jesus gives when he fills with the Spirit. But, but what does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, first of all, understand it is a supernatural work. John's ministry pointed to this supernatural work but called us to participate in it. This here is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit coming as the source of life, pictured so beautifully in the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37. You see... In Ezekiel 37, God called Ezekiel to speak the word over this valley that was littered with, with bones, scattered about. And as Ezekiel spoke, preached the word, the bones began to take shape, but they were still lifeless. And so God told Ezekiel to breathe the breath, breathe the spirit over them. It was the spirit that brought them to life picture in Ezekiel 37 of what God promises in Ezekiel 36 that he will remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh that he will bring about the new birth and then he promises that he will sprinkle you with clean water 
in here. That water cleansing pointing to Jesus. It is the water cleansing that he speaks of in Ezekiel 36 that points to the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And then he promises the sustaining presence of the Spirit to guide us in holiness. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Whereby he applies all of the work of Jesus to us. To live by the Holy Spirit is to come alive by the Holy Spirit. Because he's the source of life. And then to be sustained by him. As he continues to apply this work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Jesus' life, his death, all of the benefits of his life and death. And he graciously places them on us. That work of Jesus... It's summarized for us in the title that John spoke over Jesus. See, John, he anointed Jesus through his baptism. He anointed him for his work as the great high priest, but he declared him to be the Lamb of God. We talked about the place of water in the Old Testament ceremonial system but do you know the role of the lamb? <laughs> the water cleansed. You know what the lamb did? It became a substitute. The lamb was slain on our behalf. The blood of the lamb was shed on our behalf, on behalf of the beloved of God. Jesus was the great high priest, and the priest was the one who slayed the lamb. But Jesus, as the great high priest, became the lamb. Jesus is the priest who became the substitute in order to make atonement for you and I for our sins so that we might have life in his name, might live in fullness by the Spirit in relationship with our triune God. Jesus' baptism was a pouring out of his spirit. And the water baptism that we celebrate now is a sign and a seal of that pouring out of his spirit, of the life that we have now through our joining him in death and life. It is a life that is supernaturally empowered by the Spirit, and it is sustained by the Spirit as we come along into this work. You see, the Spirit is the source of life. The Spirit is the sustainer of life as we come in His work to join in fullness. That's what we mean by living by the Spirit. We've come alive by the Spirit. How do we live by the Spirit? Well, it combines the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus. I've spoken of John's baptism in terms of clutter. Let me offer you another illustration connected to that image. It's, it's, it's the illustration of removing noise. We live by the Spirit as we, as we listen, as we listen actively. Well, what do I mean by listening actively? Well, first, let's consider what listening passively might be. Listening passively is to just sit here and say, well, Jesus, I, I, if you want to speak, I'm here. I'll be here. To listen actively is to, is to focus intently, actively. 
listening for the leading of the Spirit through the Word of God, through the fellowship of the church, through prayer. And to actively listen, to intently focus requires our continual emptying of lesser desires, our continual removing of the competing voices and noises that so pollute our ability to hear. Last week, Blair and I were watching a, a movie in the living room, and somebody went into the kitchen and got some ice out of the ice maker. Now, when you get ice out of an ice maker, we're, it, it, we're, it's not rock star uh, type noise. It's, it's not a deafening noise. It's competing noise. And we couldn't hear what we were trying to watch because there was something else drowning out the voices we were trying to focus on. We simply had to pause and wait. You and I, we've all got competing sounds, competing noises in our hearts. And those competing noises, they drown out the music of the Holy Spirit. It's the sound of self. It's the sound of sin. So if we're going to actively listen for the Spirit, it's going to require a constant emptying so that we might be fulfilled. Fulfilled and filled. Some of us, though, we're doing that work. Some of us are we're emptying self of of all the clutter. Some of us are, are, are removing the competing noises and, and we're, you know, we're walking around trying to hear, desperate to hear. And all we feel is emptiness. All we feel is, is silence. What do you do if you're in one of those seasons of silence, of dryness, of emptiness? Well, share the struggle. Share the struggle with a brother and sister in Christ who will come alongside of you. Friends, it's not a magic formula. I don't have a magic formula to offer you except for the ordinary means of grace that God gives us. The word, the fellowship, the prayer. So share that struggle. Share the emptiness with a brother and sister in Christ who will come alongside of you as we seek to actively listen and actively wait. There are seasons in the Christian life, and some of those seasons are going to be marked more by emptying. Some of them are going to be marked more by filling. And some of us feel like we are in that season of emptiness. We're desperate to hear the voice of Christ. I simply want to encourage you to know that Jesus is present in all of those seasons. His Spirit is there shaping, giving life. There are times when He brings us to the point of utter emptiness. And that is a sign of His grace. Because there, at that place of utter emptiness, our hearts are most tuned to hear the one who utterly emptied himself on our behalf. I'm so thankful 
Roy mentioned those who serve our children and they volunteer in the children's ministry. There's another group that serves this church faithfully. It's the, it's the music team. You see them up here, but if you were to get here earlier on a Sunday morning, say around 7 o'clock, you'd see a few of them up here preparing. Now, I, in glory, we'll know more about music, but I don't yet know that much. But I know this, that one of the first things those music, musicians do when they get here, first thing on, on a Sunday morning is, is they get their instruments out and they begin to tune them. Now, I don't know why instruments get out of tune. Maybe as they're carrying the guitars around in a case and it, it twists those knobs a bit. Maybe it's the change in, in temperature and humidity, but there are factors. There are external factors sometimes that cause those instruments to be out of tune. So the musicians come and then they begin strumming. They begin turning knobs and, until eventually that instrument is ready to make beautiful music. Living by the Spirit, it's a little like that. Maybe it's a lot like that. Our world, our sin, our, our fallen desires, they cause the instruments of our hearts to be out of tune with Jesus. Yet the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit supernaturally brings life. And we come alongside of the Holy Spirit in that work and we, we participate. As the Spirit brings us into tune. In a moment, we're going to sing our closing hymn of response. It's one of my favorites of all time. Come thou fount of every blessing. And in that first line of come thou fount of every blessing, you and I, we're going to sing in just a minute. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Jesus has graciously come. Jesus has graciously lived, Jesus has graciously died, and Jesus has graciously sent His Spirit so that we might not live a life of emptiness. Friends, part of our work of tuning is the prep work of emptying out the clutter or repentance. But it's not complete there. The emptying, it simply makes room for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the fount of every blessing. The ministry and the baptism of John pointed to this filling. And we participate in that message along with John, but Jesus is the one who fulfills. Jesus is the one who provides. Jesus is the one who gives life. He is the one who tunes our hearts. Friends, let's sing. Let's sing in sync with Jesus for the glory of God, for the joy of abundant life. Father, your wisdom, your way, your timing is perfect. Empty us of ourselves. Show us the lesser things that we cling to so that we might remove we might remove the clutter, we might remove the noise so that we might see and hear and experience Jesus more fully through his indwelling spirit. Do this, we pray, in Christ's name.